Welcome to the New Testament Review. Where every episode we discuss a classic piece of New Testament scholarship. I'm Ian Mills. And I'm Laura Robinson. And we are PhD candidates at Duke University. Today we're discussing the preface to Luke's Gospel, literary convention and social context in Luke 1, 1-4 and Acts 1-1 by Loveday Alexander. She published this in 1993, and I believe it's a revised version of her dissertation. Loveday Alexander is asking herself, how does Luke understand his own compositions? And how does he represent his work to his readers? And to answer this as a historian, she's asking the genre question. How does Luke frame his text according to the ancient conventions of literary genres? Sometimes Luke is characterized as the Gospels becoming history for the first time, and he's sometimes described as leaving behind the sectarian world of Gospel composition to enter the wider Greco-Roman world of the literati and publishing the Gospel now in the form of ancient Greek historiography on the model of Thucydides or Diodorus or Dionysius. And she's going to look at the preface, the first four verses of Luke, to answer this question. Um, And she's going to ask, where these four verses situate us within the world of ancient literary or compositional conventions? We always find the most exciting part of the Gospels to talk about, don't we? Between uh, prefaces, genealogies. Alexander is going to argue that Luke isn't historiography. Why would it matter if Luke is a historian? Like, why would it matter if Luke is styling himself after uh, classical Greek historians and trying to imitate the same project that they were doing? Historically, a lot of scholars have answered this question in terms of reliability. That if Luke is a historian, it means that he is giving us a more accurate picture of Jesus or a more accurate picture of the early church than than Mark and Matthew are. That's Um, not how any of this works. Yeah, no. Saying that Luke is a historian or something else is not a statement about his credibility or his reliability or his care in assembling data. It says more about what kind of literary genre he is trying to write. Genre is not about reliability. Genre is about stylistic convention. The historiographical practice of Luke's own day would permit a historical writer to invent elements of their work, uh, particularly speeches. Uh, Historians would not have had access to the actual speeches that people might have given at specific times, so they would compose speeches to go in the mouths of their heroes. Uh, to to bring out the themes of the work. Even where historians had access to transcripts of speeches, it was considered correct practice for historians to rewrite the speeches according to their own rhetorical conceptions and what they were trying to accomplish in their agenda. If you look at Acts, you'll notice it's a lot of speeches. So, far from assuring historical reliability, Classifying Luke as historiography would actually mean we shouldn't believe that any of Jesus's or the speeches of Acts are attributable to the historical Jesus. So when we're talking about whether or not Luke's preface indicates that he thinks of himself as a historian, we're not asking if Luke is accurate or not. This is not an episode about accuracy about in Luke concerning the life of Jesus and the life of Paul. Uh, we'll do a show on John Knox to cover that. Um, This is a question about Luke's audience, Luke's social situation, and what kind of a text Luke is trying to write. The conversation we're having today needs to be removed from the question of historical reliability or not. We're talking about what sort of work Luke thought he was producing and how he would have presented it to his readers. Another question traditionally associated with the genre of the preface is the question of Luke's audience. 
Debelius and others have suggested that the preface indicates that Luke is now addressing a wider readership. Um, Theophilus has been suggested as a publisher or a patron or even an outsider that Luke is writing to. Here the gospel is no longer being written for an insular community, but going out into bookstalls and being propagated in the Roman world. And in seeking to analyze the nature, the character of Luke's preface, Alexander will be addressing this question as well. So let's start by reading the preface to Luke's gospel so we can get a sense of what exactly we're looking at. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events which have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. I too have decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. Uh, the first thing we'll notice is that it's short. It is uh, one sentence. It's a long sentence, but it is only one sentence. It's all written in the first person, which is interesting, unlike the rest of the gospel. There is a second person address. Uh, there's no name of the author, but Luke is talking to a specific person, Theophilus. It's detachable. It's not continuous with the whole work. There's a marked shift in style at verse 4, a shift in vocabulary and register, and a shift in form. We no longer having a second person address. Yeah. There really aren't comparable prefaces in the Old Testament or in the rabbinic works. Like the Talmud doesn't have a preface, for instance, or First Samuel doesn't have a preface. They just kind of start getting into the material. So there's not really an obvious Jewish corollary for what Luke is trying to do here. Now, the exception to that, of course, are the Hellenistic Jewish books. In the Second Temple period, we do start seeing Jewish books, particularly Jewish books written in Greek, with prefaces, so Maccabees, Ben Siro, the Letter of Aristeas, Josephus, and a couple of Philo's works have prefaces, but none of these look particularly like Luke. And as we will see, Luke lines up very closely with a particular genre convention in the Greco-Roman world, that is, scientific treatises, and this is what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time today. None of these other works share these conventions, so these Jewish works can't have mediated Luke's access to Greco-Roman preface conventions. Luke rather appears to be freely composing based on these standard Greco-Roman conventions and the existence of prefaces on Greek Jewish biblical literature is more of an analog. It shows that other imitations of Jewish scripture are being framed with Greco-Roman literary conventions. So we shouldn't so much see Hellenistic Jewish literature with Greco-Roman prefaces as the antecedent for Luke's work, or as the source of Luke's inspiration, but rather as part of the same wider phenomena, that is, the intermingling of Jewish and Hellenistic cultures. So what's out there like this? What else looks like this in antiquity? If this doesn't look a whole lot like stuff that Luke might have gotten from the Septuagint, what, what else might this be? So is this more like a historical preface? This is where Luke has been traditionally assigned, that Luke is styling his work by putting this preface here uh, in the work of, 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 of traditional Greek historiography. If, if we're going to say that Luke is a historian and that this preface is based on Greek historiography, what does a Greek historiographical preface look like? So these prefaces are often several pages the author will describe who they are, they will discuss the nature of historiography, uh, they will discuss their sources and uh, how in their methodology. There's usually not an address where they talk to a particular audience member like we have with Luke and Theophilus. It's worth noting at this point that the things we've mentioned, 
authorial self-introduction is several page long, a long like meta discussion of the nature of historiography. These are features absent from Luke's preface. The shortest historiographic preface in all of Greco-Roman literature is six sentences long. That is about six times as long <laughs> as Luke's preface. And most of them are several pages and continuous both in style and in like form with the rest of the treatise. I'm starting to think Luke's not a historian, Ian. Right. And while these dissimilarities may not be fatal, you know, family resemblances, things are allowed to belong to categories and have some differences, as we discussed in our Burridge episode, the fact that Luke actually lines up with a different set of texts very precisely is going to undermine, according to Alexander, any suggestion that Luke is here writing a historiographic preface. If it's not a historical preface, if Luke's preface doesn't look anything like a historiographical introduction, then what is it? Well, there's another family of prefaces out there. Uh, In English, we call this scientific prefaces. This is a little bit misleading. But the German word is Fachprosa, and that just means working prose. Uh, So by scientific here, we mean just workman's text. It's not literature, it's instructive, and it's meant to communicate useful information. So in the ancient world, this would have included medical texts, this would have included magical texts, this could have uh, been musical instruction or uh, reflections on military strategy. This anything that explains how you do something. And these texts often have prefaces. Uh, They don't always, but they're quite common. These prefaces are often very different from the rest of the work stylistically uh, because authors are are imitating this uh, conventional language. Uh, The writing style is often very flowery or grammatically complex when compared to the rest of the text, which is quite straightforward. And that's exactly what Luke looks like, right? We have this somewhat lengthy periodic sentence with some larger vocabulary, Um, a more complicated grammatic structure that he doesn't use, again, throughout the rest of Luke, and with one exception, doesn't use throughout the rest of the book of Acts. So you have a strong disconnect, like you get with scientific treatises, between the style of Luke's preface and the style of the scientific treatises. So the prefaces are also very short. Uh, They tend to be sentences rather than pages. And as we've already said, Luke's preface is one sentence. This looks a lot more like a workman's prose preface than it does historiography. Scientific treatises, Falk prosa, typically contain the author's decision to write. So the stereotyped forms of this would be phrases like, I have decided to write, or it is necessary to write. So verse three, I too decided, after investigating everything from the very first, to write in order to account for you. These prefaces would often contain the subjects or the contents of the books with explanation when necessary of particular aspects of the presentation. So if there are illustrations. That is, the subject is made immediately clear for the reader. So you know if we're talking about music, magic, or military tactics. We see this in Luke, that he has decided to write an orderly account for you that you might know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. Scientific criticisms typically include a dedication. Sometimes the decision to write is listed for so-and-so. The person to whom the worth is dedicated might be called the most, the most fitting person to receive it. So let's look at Luke. For you, most excellent Theophilus. The preface might also address others who have written on the subject or who have opinions about it. So this usually contextualizes the work within the history of the discipline including written sources or other famous teachers. So let's jog back up to verse 1. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled among us. And scientific treatises often include a description of the author's qualifications to be writing about the topic. 
So the qualifications often include a mention of their sources, uh, either written sources. These tend to be characteristic of encyclopedic writers who want to play up the fact that they have a big library. Personal experience, uh, claiming to be an eyewitness, we'll get into exactly what that means later. Or tradition, that someone is of the right background, having studied with the right person. So, if we look up at verse 3, he has, Luke says he has investigated everything carefully from the very first. And then sometimes there are some general remarks in methodology. And in Luke, we have the orderly account. But as we're going to discuss, perhaps the content of Luke versus the content of most scientific treatises creates a disanalogy here. Yeah, so if we think that Luke is writing a preface that would be appropriate for Fock Prosa, what are the implications of this? What do we learn about Luke's gospel? So one thing is that Luke starts off by mentioning the many predecessors who have written before it. And this isn't a trope. When people appeal to the fact that they are one of many people writing in a school, it's to explain why they're writing this particular work or what else is out there. So it's probably not just something Luke is saying. He probably meant it. He probably did know other people who had tried to write stories about Jesus. On the address to Theophilus, um, Theophilus means lover of God, and it has been suggested by some interpreters that this is every Christian. This is a fictional addressee, not a real person. But Alexander points out that in scientific treatises, dedicatees are never fictional. Wherever we can test it, the dedicatees we know of are historical people. Now, sometimes dedications are fictional. If an author is representing themselves as writing in an earlier historical period, or sometimes addressing themselves to a dead person, clearly they didn't expect that person to really be reading their writing. But the dedicatee is never fictional. It's always to a real historical personage. It doesn't mean that Luke is a private letter. Uh, that This is not like Paul's, this is not correspondence. This is not like Paul's letters. This is something that is meant to be read by a wide range of people, even if it is dedicated to only one of them. Unfortunately, according to Alexander, situating this within scientific treatises doesn't solve the identity of Theophilus. It's possible that he's a superior. It's possible that he's a patron. And it's remotely possible that he's an outsider. But there's no way to know this on the basis of it being a scientific treatise. We have counterexamples for all of these things. In, in early Christianity, the Gospels were often cited by, particularly by critics, as uh, literature of the lower classes, as just unlettered, unsophisticated text. So when Origen is writing in response to accusations like this from Celsus, no one ever points to Luke and says, well, what about Luke? Luke is really sophisticated. You know, ancient writers of Luke didn't find it sophisticated, and they didn't trot it out as an example of the sophistication of early Christian writers. And what we've learned about this preface means that they were totally right. This text is appropriate for the writing of a craftsman. If we want to go with the traditional idea that Luke is the beloved physician, that he's a medical doctor, this can sometimes cloud our vision a little bit because in our own day, uh, doctors are highly educated and they're, they tend to be high-class people. The medical doctor in the ancient world, though, was not a high-class person. He was a tradesperson. He was a skilled laborer. So if, uh, you know, if we go with the traditional authorship idea, even if Luke is a doctor, this is exactly the kind of preface he would write. The evangelists are often called unlettered. And unlettered doesn't mean illiterate. It means you write like a workings person, not like an elite literati composing literature. Um, and this seems to corroborate that image. Luke's preface doesn't place him alongside Cicero, but alongside the composers of books on engineering and 
medicine. This actually corroborates really well with Meeks' theory, if you want to go back and listen to the Meeks episode that Ian did with Ben. The average Christian in the ancient world, Joe Christian, would have been a, a, a skilled laborer, a tradesperson. This fits really nicely with that. This is the kind of thing that tradespeople would write. This is the kind of thing that tradespeople would read. Luke seems to be very reflective, not of a tendency to break out of the church and start writing literature for everyone, but to write the kind of literature that people in the churches would have been reading. Now, a natural objection is, wait, but Luke isn't a scientific treatise. Luke isn't explaining medicine or engineering or how to construct grammatical sentences. Luke is a narrative of the life of Jesus. Alexander argues that Luke is a scientific treatise not in terms of its literary form, that is, Luke is a narrative rather than direct exposition, and not in terms of its content, it's a life, it's not a handbook on mathematics, medicine, or rhetoric. Instead, the analogy between scientific prefaces, why Luke decided to preface his work with a preface from scientific treatises rather than a historiographical preface, is literary praxis. That is, the compositional method Luke used is most closely analogous to those of the scientific treatises. So what is this compositional method? Well, it is to represent your work as belonging to a tradition um, in continuity with other great experts on this topic, while also emphasizing your qualifications to update that tradition. Alexander places a huge emphasis on the chi, the word for and or to or also in verse 3, that I too decided to write an orderly account. That is, Luke is saying, I'm doing the same thing as other people who have lived and wrote within this tradition. But in his appeal to eyewitnesses, which we are going to talk about in a second, raises up his qualifications to rewrite that tradition. These writers often do defer to what came before, uh, even if they see deficiencies in it, and that's what prompts them to write, that they need to fix that. But they still see themselves as standing in this tradition, and they often defer to the work that came before them, the oral tradition, or other people who have written before them. So, so when we think about tradesperson writings, we should think of them as both building on a tradition, but also, frankly, criticizing them. It's worth noting at this point that Alexander doesn't support some of these newer approaches to Gospels as unauthored, subliterary, living traditions that are evolving with every new manuscript. Um, scientific treatises are imprinted with their author's qualifications and, and the author's own take on the tradition. Even though they are rhetorically representing themselves as, as in genuine continuity with their predecessors, they are also emphasizing their own ability to rewrite rework this tradition. This also brings us to the question of the audience. Scientific pre prefaces are not meant to proselytize the subject. They're not meant to get other people into it. They're meant for people who are already familiar with the material or are already initiated into the circle. So, is Luke written to go out into the world and find a non-Christian readership? Probably not. It's a lot more likely that this is meant for other Christians who want to know this story, and uh, Luke thinks he's the right person to write it. Okay, we've saved eyewitnesses for last. It's a theme that runs through the book because, of course, the eyewitness part of the preface is such a contentious issue in the history of interpretation. So let's talk about, first of all, the role of eyewitnesses in historiography. And then the fact that they are prominently featured in scientific treatises and how this relates to Luke's use of that trope. The appeal to eyewitnesses 
in historiography, Alexander argues, is almost never forensic. It's more or less unheard of to have a historian say in the middle of a narrative, I was there, I saw this happen, I am reliably reporting it. Instead, in historiography, you appeal to eyewitnesses for geography and ethnography. When you want to say, I have been to the place, I have seen the people practicing these practices, it's in this role that you typically see appeal to eyewitness accounts. Now, unlike historiography, the appeal to eyewitness experiences or eyewitnesses is super common in scientific treatises. But here too, it is not forensic. It is not, I saw it happen, therefore I can accurately report the events. Rather, it's part of their training. It's part of what qualifies them to revise the tradition, to update and improve the tradition. Here is where we have some difficulty applying this to Luke, because medical doctors say, I have hands-on experience cutting up bodies, and this is why I'm qualified to rewrite this anatomical manual. And it's hard to know how that applies to Luke. Yeah. So Luke seems to be carrying over this convention, but somehow thinking it's relevant for reworking the tradition about Jesus. I think a lot of times this Luke's appeal to the eyewitnesses gets read through the lens of Papias. Mm -hmm. That what, as we've seen, that's not really what eyewitnesses means when we look at scientific literature. And in fact, it's actually kind of hard to know, as Ian said, it's hard to know exactly what Luke does mean mm -hmm. through that lens. So it's probably Luke's appeal to his training in the church, um, his familiarity with what people would want to call the oral tradition, but. Oral tradition is just people talking to each other. And people talking to each other is no more or less free from interpretation, distortion, and creativity than anything else. So this is, for Luke, a qualification for rewriting the tradition. And maybe, if you want to say, here he is reaching towards the historiographic use of eyewitnesses because it's so hard to fit him into medical contexts where, you know, I too cut up bodies. Then we probably shouldn't see Luke as being in conversation with the people who were there, but claiming to have first-hand accounts of some of the geographic details and some of the religious practices um, that are relevant to the matter he's discussing. Yeah. The takeaway from all this is we can't really learn a whole lot about how accurate or inaccurate Luke is or that he's trying to be from this. Right. That's just not the way that his language and conventions is pointing us. Yeah. So to wrap this up, you know, we, we learn a lot about who Luke is and why he's writing and who he wants to read this um, and how Luke fits in alongside the other gospel writers from his preface. We don't learn a lot about his uh, his accuracy, uh, the reliability of his sources, or even how much that is something he's trying to appeal to or to draw attention to. Luke is very much at home with the middle class tradesperson literature of his day. And that's about all we can say. As well as, of course, the attitude of both continuity with the tradition and willingness to update and revise this tradition. So this is an interesting book to put into conversation with our Burridge episode, which was like episode five or something like that. Alexander does raise the possibility that this is a philosophical biography and rejects it because it lacks some of the defining characteristics of philosophical biography. And lines up very neatly, as we've shown, with scientific treatises. To what degree 
this description of Luke also applies to Matthew and Mark. And how this interacts with the clear imitation of scripture we see in the body of Luke and we see dominating the text of both Matthew and Mark is a question that we're not going to have time to get into today, but um, deserves further consideration. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Ian. I've seen brighter stars than you. I